for the situation in Delhi is really bad. It is alarming. The air quality has gone worse um, over the last one week. It's smog. Basically, it all started on 4th of November. There was a slight increase in the quality, but then it has again dropped. It dropped this morning. It again went to the um, hazardous level. There is basically zero visibility. Um, you know, you cannot see the buildings right across the road. The lamppost or the India Gate, it is not visible. That's Tanya Dutter, a reporter with The National in Delhi. For the past two weeks, air pollution in the Indian capital has been off the scale. A toxic mix of dust, soot from farmers burning paddy field stubble, car fumes, construction, have all combined into a murky grey film laying over the city. The pollution was so bad that the government moved to close schools and advised people to stay indoors. But India isn't alone in struggling with air pollution the doctors say is increasingly linked to long-term health problems. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at why so many cities are struggling to breathe. Air pollution isn't new. London today is still synonymous with smog. Even though the thick clouds of mostly cold smoke choked the city through the winter of 1952. The government at the time said 4,000 people died as a direct result of the smog, and 100,000 more were made ill. But then in 1956, the British government passed the Clean Air Act, banning coal burning, among other things. The smog cleared, and London has never experienced again an episode quite like it. But today, governments around the world are still discussing the issue, and doctors are sounding the alarm. While the situation in Delhi this week shows that air pollution is still a very persistent issue in developing nations, those in the developed world might not be able to see the pollution, but it could still be killing them. Let's start by looking at what we mean by air pollution and how we measure it. The air of our cities is made up of a whole bunch of chemicals. There's oxygen and carbon dioxide, but there's also carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen dioxide, and numerous other gases and airborne particles. How much of these things and their balance makes up air quality? There are a few ways to measure this, but the main one is the air quality index. It works like a thermometer does for temperature, giving a number between 0 and 500. Below 50 is safe, above 150 is unhealthy, and above 300 is hazardous. For a sense of scale, Delhi has regularly topped the 500 mark. And when the limits are under it, it's still measuring between three and 400. A little later, we'll hear from a doctor in Delhi who's been treating people affected by the pollution to hear what the impact is on the human body. But first, let's talk about one of the other main things scientists are monitoring for. That's the density of fine particles. The two main things are known as PM10 and PM2.5. That just means particles less than 10 or less than 2.5 micrometers, about 3% of the diameter of a human hair. But should we worry about such fine particles? Well, doctors say that it's because they're so fine that we should worry. PM2.5 dust can penetrate deep into the lungs when you breathe. These particles can flow straight into your bloodstream and can travel to your heart and your brain. Doctors believe that this is causing untold damage to our health. Cardiovascular disease is the big issue, heart attacks and strokes. But there's also respiratory issues and coughing. 
The World Health Organization said that 4.2 million people died in 2016, and the major cause was PM 2.5. Here's Dr. Vikas Muria, a specialist in diseases of the respiratory system at the Fortis Hospital in Delhi. Yeah, immediate impact basically what we're seeing is the high-risk group of patients like, you know, children and early and what we, and also in pre-existing uh, lung and cardiac disease, we're seeing increased number of patients having persistent cough, shortness of breath, then uh, bronchitis and asthma-like attacks or, for example, recurrent infections, respiratory, upper respiratory infections, lower respiratory infections, pneumonias, and then again, it can also affect on those who are pregnant females, their fetus. And even the pregnant females are also very much uh, sensitive, so they're also being affected. So there's an immediate impact when the pollution gets bad. The elderly, children and pregnant mothers are the most at risk. One of the first signs is coughing. But should that be worrying? No, I mean, this is I mean, uncomfortable as well. You know, you're breathing in such, you know, the polluted air. Obviously, it's uncomfortable because when you uh, go out, you feel like that you are you're smoking the cigarette. You know, the, the smell, you can smell only, you can recognize that, yes, the smell is pretty bad. The air uh, quality is bad. And uh, that's when, I mean, the effects also are in like that only. You know, the people are complaining of a lot of issues. I mean, for example, it's become an issue for the children. They have to go to school, and uh, but you cannot avoid them. So now what happened is that Government has done, state government has done odd even, you know, scheme for the vehicles. And they even closed the schools for uh, five, for a couple of days when the levels are quite high. So these measures, I don't know how much this will help because something, you know, uh, we have to take a long-lasting solution. Then there's the long-term impacts. For example, when we talk of lung cancer, we always talk, okay, it occurs most of, I mean, majority of the patients have a history of smoking. So nowadays we do get some patients, for example, if, uh, who do not have any history of smoking. I mean, apart from, you know, the smoking and the genetic and other occupational hazards, if all these are ruled out, we're getting some patients, you know, of, for example, the lung, I mean, we've seen a few couple of patients like that having lung cancers. You know, there was no any risk factor apart from, you know, this air pollution. Patients are also being seen nowadays and being reported in the media as well. So Dr. Vickers is seeing patients diagnosed with lung cancer who have no history of smoking. But what can people do about such a pervasive problem? Life has to go on. As Tanya mentioned at the beginning, people in Delhi still go to work and school, go out shopping and visit people as normal. For example, I can give my example and which I always tell to people. What we are doing at the moment is most of the time we uh, close the windows and doors and all. We are cleaning our indoor air as much as fine as possible. We, for example, I always keep indoor plants. I always do the regular cleaning and wet dusting of heart. And again, the well ventilation of the kitchens and as well as washrooms and all. So, and plus, you know, we are going outside. For example, I'm sending my children with the face mask, with N95 mask. You know, at the moment, so that they are going to school, they are, they are okay. Just to taking care of our immunity with healthy diets and everything. Just trying to do it, you know, so that we don't have any acute problems, any acute, you know, the issues. So in such way, we are trying to, you know, do our bit. But uh, obviously, this, this will, will help us only certain extent. But we don't know what will happen in the long term.
The World Health Organization says that nine of the ten most polluted cities by PM level are in India. But it's far from the only country where this is a major issue. Coming back to London, while the Great Smog might be gone, the city still has a problem. In 2017, the city breached the annual legal pollution limits in five days. In 2018, it took just one month. Authorities this year said that nitrogen dioxide levels are falling, but it would take six more years to reach legal levels. But even off the streets of London, people might not be safe. A major recent investigation by the Financial Times found that on the London Underground, the level of PM2.5 is hitting 10 times the World Health Organization's safe levels. Now we're going to hear from Professor Gerjing He, who works on environmental sustainability in the economics department of Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Air pollution has been a big issue in China for years. As the country raced forwards with growth rates in the double digits, cities boomed, construction flourished, and the government opened hundreds of coal-fired power stations. But, as a result, the air quality plummeted. The simple story is, as China starts to um, open it up and have all those uh, reforms, it attracts a lot of manufacturing firms. Uh, at the same time, some of those firms are very polluting. So on the one hand, as uh, income level rise in China, uh, we also see a significant deterioration of air quality and water quality in the country. In 2008, Beijing hosted the Olympic Games. In the run-up to the competition, the government faced tough questions about the city's smog. In response, authorities ordered power stations and factories to close, cars to leave the roads and construction to stop. It worked. The skies cleared and the games went ahead. But when the city got back to work at the end of the competition, things just returned to normal. But Professor Hur says the Olympic Games marks one of the moments when things began to change when it came to air pollution. Today, the government has a comprehensive plan and things are dramatically improving. Yes, you're, you're right. So a lot of measures uh, during the Olympic Games are, are temporary. So actually, after the Games, uh, people see that the air quality in China uh, deteriorated again. But in 2013, uh, there was a huge, uh, several like prolonged smog and uh, haze episodes that struck northern China. And those events really brought all the people onto the table to discuss how to uh, address this pollution issue. So the Chinese government launched a large-scale war against the pollution. So what we observe in the data uh, is that air quality in major Chinese cities have improved by more than 35% in just about five years. So on the one hand, they try to retire a lot of uh, like polluting uh, intensive facilities and factories and move some of those facilities out of the core area and shut down a lot of really like polluting plants and even industries in major cities. And then they also have uh, national policies try to encourage people's adoption of electric vehicles and so that uh, less emission are coming from cars in major cities. Uh, the government also provides, for example, subsidies to farmers to recycle straws so they do not have to burn it. I think in general, this rather a comprehensive plan. Oh, 
So one important policy that was enforced in the past few years is trying to retire coal by natural gases for winter heating. I think that also contributes significantly to the reduction of air pollution in China. And Professor He says that this is all part of a changed view in the Chinese government when it comes to the environment. In general, uh, the Chinese government has started the transition from focusing on GDP growth to a more balanced development, which emphasizes not only growth, but also environmental protection, energy consumption, and health uh, improvement, and all those kind of things. So basically, the objectives of the, the government becomes much broader uh, than, uh, than previous years. So in the last few years, a major push by the government has led to a 35% improvement in air quality. So Professor He says that according to their studies, the 35% improvement in air quality is equivalent to more than two years added to life expectancy. So what's Beijing like today compared to 2008 and before? Yes, uh, it feels much better. So I visited Beijing uh, two weeks ago and... uh, Unlike a couple of years ago, you always observe heavy smog and haze in the sky during the winter. Now you can actually uh, have much better clear blue sky, even though, of course, there are still uh, episodes that uh, the air pollution is bad. But overall, uh, much less people are talking about pollution right now, and people in general feel safer to go out during the, the daytime. So what can India learn from China? Well, Professor He says that to tackle air pollution, you need a comprehensive change. Stopping cars on the roads, banning construction, and closing schools and workplaces are all temporary measures. But first, he says you need a consensus to tackle the problem and an awareness that it is a major problem to begin with. Then you need to adapt. So um, I think one thing um, I learned from my own research is that uh, in most of the cases, economic incentives uh, help people to adopt new technology and help people to abandon the outdated technology, right? So I think China has been trying to uh, kind of forbid people to burn straws for many years, but they are not that effective. But later, they basically change the incentive structure. Instead of trying to say, if you burn it, I'm going to fine you, they switch to a, a kind of more incentivize people from recycling them. Right? If you do not burn them, if you recycle them, and the government is going to pay you. So this kind of a transition really helps uh, to change the attitudes and the actions of the individuals. So is Delhi at this stage? Are the politicians serious about solving the capital's air problem? Well, Tanya isn't convinced. The government hasn't blaming the other governments as well, other state governments. But we do not know as of yet. Uh, we haven't heard anything concrete from any of the state governments on how to deal with this situation. More than that, Tanya doesn't even think that the majority of people in the city are aware of quite how bad and how hazardous the problem is. People are not really aware how bad it is, but uh, they they feel, you know, uh, troubles on day-to-day life. For example, you know, somebody uh, would complain you about how you know, his eyes are itchy or watery. But it is, it, the, the, this whole pollution thing has a long-term effect in the body, which unfortunately they are not aware of. 
In the meantime, Tanya says that her family are adapting to the reality of air pollution. We do not have an air purifier as of yet, but we're definitely planning. Uh, but uh, we have started keeping a lot of indoor plants. And yes, we definitely keep the doors and windows closed, uh, which is also suffocating at times, but better than um, breathing, you know, uh, toxic air. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this was Beyond the Headlines. Thanks this week to Tanya Dutta, Dr. Vikas Muria, and Professor Gujran Hill. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison. All the latest Beyond the Headlines, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you could leave us a review, it really helps. <laughs>